Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about analytics and in the e-commerce world. You know, are you really listening to the stories that your analytics are telling you? Tons of data out there. We know that uh, tech companies these days, in some ways, they're more data companies than software companies or anything else. That the the data is really what powers uh, a lot of the internet as we know it, and we certainly want to make sure that whether it's SMB or whether it's enterprise, uh, that businesses are really uh, taking advantage, that e-commerce businesses are really following uh, the really the, the lead that the data is providing. So um, with no further ado, we've got a great guest with us today. We've got uh, Mercer, uh, who's going to be <laughs> able to shed some light. Um, Mercer's with the measurement marketing team. And um, would you do us the honors of telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, what you do every day in the analytics world? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me. So my name is technically Chris Mercer, but everybody calls me Mercer. There's always another Chris in the room. Uh, and I'm the co-founder of a company called measurementmarketing.io. So our main job is to help train marketers, marketing teams, and, and business owners how to know their numbers, essentially. Um, te- technically, that's by using tools like Google Tag Manager, Google Analytics, uh, Google Data Studio, and other platforms that are out there. Facebook Analytics, as an example, Google Analytics 4, the new kid on the block, but really sort of understanding how do I use these platforms, to your point, to tell a story, because the data desperately wants to tell a story, but sometimes it's just not collected in the proper way, and it's harder to get those answers. That's our job is to help marketers figure out how to do all of that so they can actually stop using those platforms and go back to work and start making improvements to their sites. So I'm going to really jump right in there. What are some of the ways that you've seen data turn back into money for for folks, because uh, you know, I could tease that along for a few more questions, but uh, I'm going to get right to the heart of it. You know, what have you actually seen impactful, powerful uh, when it comes to educating the merchant into what shoppers are actually thinking, doing, or not thinking and doing based upon uh, what the data is showing? Sure. So I'm going to I'm going to start with kind of covering a, a basic framework first, then we'll dive into that. So the the first short answer in the framework is we have five key steps that everybody should be taking. The first is the one that everybody skips, which is you got to plan out things. So what questions do you want to answer? What information do you need to collect to get those answers? Ultimately, and this is the most important one. What actions will you take based upon those answers? That sort of happens in this planning stage. Then you do your build out and that's where you're setting up all your measurement stuff. Then there's the reports, right? You're using the data studio or maybe the built-in reports and something like Google Analytics to get the answers. Then you start to forecast. And that's where it's a very important shift where instead of always wondering what just happened and what, what are people, how are people using our site? You start asking questions like, how are people supposed to use the site? Right? You start to forecast what results are supposed to be happening, and then you measure against your forecasts. That's what will tell you where to optimize, because you very clearly see what's working and what's not, and ultimately be able to take the actions you want to take to improve results. Now, going back to your question, like how, do you, how does this all matter for e-commerce owners? So if you're work, working with the system, you're using these tools, and you have some visibility into the behaviors that are happening on your site, right? the user behaviors that are happening on your site, you can then impact those behaviors. So for example, one of those behaviors might be, on average, we have $100 cart value, 
right? Coming through the average cart value is hundred bucks. If that's what you're okay with, and that's part of your plan, awesome, scale, right? Scale traffic, no big deal. However, if you're like, well, we really need it to be 150, you can then start asking better questions. It's things like, okay, should we put a related products field on there? If so, which products should be related, right? Do we do a little order bump feature on the cart uh, versus maybe a, a after order bump that comes on the thank you page? And you can start thinking about those things because you're trying to achieve a specific result. The reason you can achieve a specific result is because you currently know where you are, right? You know that you get $100 now on average. You know you want to be at 150. Here are the steps you're going to take to get there. And then you measure along the way, getting feedback. Did I did it work? Did the thing we learned work? And not to mention traffic sources. When you think about Facebook or Google ads, email, right? Which traffic source is the best source? Should we focus more on SEO or should we focus more on that Facebook paid campaign that the Facebook vendor says is working really well? You can measure for those results. And then so you can know specifically what types of results you get from what types of traffic. And ultimately, you can start really affecting optimization in that way. It, would you say one of the challenges is maybe that some of these e-commerce merchants, they don't know what the baseline should be like for conversion rate optimization, that they have a conversion rate of, let's say, 1% or maybe 5%. And is that good? Everybody wants it to be higher. <laughs> yeah. know? If they don't, uh, come see me, right? You know? Yeah, that's exactly right. See me after class because everyone should want that to be higher. But is that part of the challenge in getting the data you know, uh, analysis, right, is just understanding uh, <laughs> what kind of benchmark uh, you should be looking for or, or how to look at it. Because if not, th they're just random numbers to people. Right. And so here's, here's how you get around that. So one, to your point, there is that, and I was the same way when I first started out. It was like, I remember doing conversion rate optimization way back in the day for clients. And they would say things like, what's a good conversion rate? And I would have this nice answer of like, oh, it's better than it was yesterday. That's a good conversion rate, right? But the at the end of the day, there is such a thing as good, or at least good enough. And so, for example, to your point, maybe the, you know, from cold traffic perspective, you might convert away from one to 3%. Warm traffic might convert substantially higher at five to 10%, right? So something along those lines, trip, different traffic sources will tend to fall into a range, right? So you know how well you've sort of optimized and you can kind of reach a point of diminishing returns and go focus on something else. When it comes to numbers, remember this phrase, the truth is in the trend, the power is in the pattern. And numbers tend not to be random. So when you measure your results and you measure them consistently over time, you will start to see a pattern. So you will find that maybe there's that one week that you sold 10% and it's because you happen to do an email or something like that to your best favorite buyers and you had a big giant sale for like maybe Black Friday or something and it spiked and that one converted kind of an outlier, right? But most of the time you find yourself hovering between one, one and a half, 1.25, 1.5, you know, and you'll start to see this pattern that's there. At that point, you know kind of where you currently are. And in my perspective, if you're looking at a conversion rate and you're between one and 3%, I think it's okay to kind of go like, all right, what else? If we know that on general, generally speaking, we are going to convert at about one and a half, let's just say I know that. And if I say, well, if I know that I convert about one and a half of my audience, maybe the question is not, how do I get them to do a 1.75 or 1.5 or 1.2 you know, or whatever it is? Again, a scale that might matter, but let's say, and I don't do that. What's easier for me? Maybe it's open up other products. Instead of spending all that time, effort, and energy to get this little tiny bump, what if I had three other products that they'd be interested in converting at one and a half percent for? Well, now I net net more revenue quickly because I'm able, because I know how my users, I can predict, I can forecast how my users are going to convert at a certain level. 
So first things first is like, yes, you need to have benchmarks. Don't worry exactly yet in the beginning when you're first starting to figure things out, measure consistently over time, find the trends, find your patterns, and you will see the behaviors that users use and the results that you typically produce. Then at that point, that's when you compare and say, okay, is this a result that I'm happy with? And then at that point, you start taking actions to improve it. Yeah. I think, you know, you hit on one of the other challenges uh, already. It's that you have to really look at the data individually. So if you're looking at traffic that's being driven right to specific landing pages through paid ad campaigns, maybe the bounce rates are higher to those because they're people that were looking for something specific and either they were going to buy it or they weren't because maybe the price or something else is, is the point of friction. But That's different, perhaps, than somebody that comes in looking for more of a broad category and is going to look at a lot of different pages and is going to spend more time browsing. And so understanding some of that when you're looking at the data and looking for those trends, um, I always like looking at at certain data points like uh, when the site search feature in an e-commerce site is used, if it has a bigger catalog, you expect that people that are searching, they kind of know what they're looking for already, that if they use the site search, that uh, the conversion rate is going to be significantly higher. That should be. That's right. a great way for them to find what they're looking for. And when it's not, what are they looking for and not finding? And is it that the site search feature is not delivering the right results? Is it um, you know, that the traffic source is bringing you people for things that you don't have that maybe you should have? Maybe it's time to grow uh, your product catalog a little bit. But there's information buried there for those that actually go go seek it. There's treasure in, yes. in their hills. Yes, that's, that's uh, exactly right. And to your, to your point about site search, because there's that, if you know, like to your point, you're just saying, hey, if they're searching on my site, there is a higher level of interest that this user has, right? They are into you at this point because they're spending time, effort, and energy because it takes, a, that's a lot of friction to go to a search box, type it in, click around search results. They should convert higher. And that's how you mentioned, that's how you said that, right? They should convert higher. What you didn't say is, oh, well, they should convert 4.2 times higher than average because that's getting way too wonky, way too into details. And in the beginning, when you're just starting out, that's all you need to do is exactly what you did, which is go, this I expect, right? I am forecasting that a search, somebody who's searching on a site should convert higher. Did they convert higher? And now you're answering that question. Is my website working like it's supposed to? Right? Is my e-commerce store working like it's supposed to? Is it is it allowing people who are searching and really into the brand or the products to find what they need? And now it's a lot easier to take actions on stuff because you're going into that data with a question in mind that you're trying to answer. If you just try to dive into the data, which a lot of people do, especially in the beginning when they're learning this stuff, they think they can swim around the data and they're going to bump into that like mysterious thing that's going to give them all the powers as a marketer. And it's just not how it is. You have to have a question in mind first go into the data. And that's a perfect example of doing that with that site search. No gamma radiation there in the data giving you super <laughs> no spiders, re- No spider bites required, exactly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you know, I can always hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, and thinking of it from the reverse, I've been looking at, at this sort of data a long time as of you. Have you seen um, changes due to things like ad blockers that, that are getting in the way, different privacy measures has the amount of data being collected or the quality of the data in any way been affected by different evolutions in market? Um, or yes. is it pretty yeah. much as solid as ever? 
Yeah. So definitely not as solid as ever. Um, so I mean, if anyone's been paying attention, I mean, they've got Facebook and Apple got no little tiff and you and you will see platform changes like Apple is, is changing a dramatically amount of stuff. Google is also changing a lot of stuff and how they measure. Uh, you've got tech changes where you have ad blockers and extensions, browsers like Brave that are out there that are automatically keeping people uh, from sending back any sort of information in terms of measurements. And then you've got laws, right? So you have this trifecta of like, you know, GDPR and California and Brazil and everybody else. And so you have this trifecta of all these forces that are conspiring to make sure that in a year from now, we are measuring less, not more. And that's going to happen. So from a, from a measurement marketing perspective, when you're looking at this, you have two options. One is like freak out, right? Technically three options. One is you freak out. And you're like, I'm not sure what to do in the world. And it's just not what's going to happen. Don't worry about that. Two is you try to get around it. And we get a lot of people that come to us like that. Well, how do I measure people who don't want to be measured? And I'm like, well, <laughs> think about your, how you're saying that, right? <laughs> like, you just don't. That's not that's not the point. You're not Because worst case, even if you did figure out a way, it would be very temporary because somebody's going to slap a law on it. The tech's going to change again to, to snap that back down. And it becomes a little like black hat measurement. It shouldn't be a thing, right? So don't worry about that. Instead, you go, okay, how do I deal with the new world in front of me? And this is an important phrase to think about. The map is not the territory. So if I hold a map and, or if I'm using GPS, right? If I'm using GPS and it tells me to go down a street that is one way and it's the wrong direction, I don't just go, well, the GPS said to, so I'm just gonna go ahead and do it because the map, right? That representation is not the actual territory. It's not the real world. It's just a representation of the real world. So what's happening from a measurement perspective is if we've been able to map things out with lots of data, right? Lots of different data points and everything else. We are going to have less of that. So the maps will change, but the market, the territory, the real world is not changing. People are still using iOS. They're still buying stuff on phones. They're still buying stuff in different countries. They're still doing what they do with our websites. We just may not be able to measure it in exactly the same way or have access to every single step that we were used to measuring. So the map changes, but the territory doesn't. And we just have to learn as measurement marketers to change how we measure things. And when we do that, we can still figure out, you can still see how people are using your site, albeit in a different way. And it's okay. And I'll kind of answer the other question about uh, the idea of like, what if there is less in this whole accuracy thing, right? So we call it the A word here at MetroMarketing.io because I don't like accuracy. There's no such thing as accuracy. Never has been technically. Definitely won't be in the future. But what you want is something useful, right? Because that's the whole idea of measurement is that it gives you direction onto what actions you can do to influence a result in a certain direction. That's what you want. You want that direction with that action steps. So when you think about uh, the idea of, of accuracy and this idea that we're going to have less, not more to measure, think about sample size. I'm actually kind of excited for this in 2021 as a trend because sample size will come back into, into vogue, I think, a little bit. People will go, wait a second. Like if I need to predict out what 100 people are going to do, I pretty much, you know, with any sort of reasonable accuracy, I have to ask probably around 100 people. But to predict out what 100,000 people are going to do, I only have to do roughly like 10,000. And to predict out what a million people are going to do, it's like 14,000. So it's not that much more. So you need a little bit of data can help you to predict how your market is reacting on the site, the behaviors that are happening on the site. And that is unbelievably useful. So even if you lose, again, depending upon the traffic you have on your site, even if you lose the visibility, remember the traffic is still there, but if you lose the ability to measure half your traffic, 80% of your traffic even, you can still, with what's left, find some incredibly useful insights you can take action on. And more importantly, adjust your forecast and say, okay, well, based on the actions we're taking this week, here's what should happen next week. And you can still measure to make sure you're getting those results.
And a lot of us have already been forced to do a lot of that because, you know, I mean, Google used to tell us a lot more about what people were actually searching organically. Um, and a lot of that is now not provided that you only get <laughs> a sampling yeah. of it. Uh, if we want to think about it that way, that there are other data sets that are similarly um, obscured or obfuscated from us. So uh, it's a trend line that I, I think everyone in, right. in marketing and analytics has been fighting. And on the other side of that, though, uh, to kind of look <laughs> at the other challenge, have you seen bot traffic and, and other, I'll, I'm going to call it fake traffic, it's a form of real traffic but it's yeah, not good traffic right. you know that poor quality traffic yeah. yeah i mean if, if you're a site that gets 10,000 visitors a day and you get you know all, all of a sudden you start getting you know 5,000 bot hits a day that are being calculated that'll throw off for let's say that they're all bouncing or the time on site is very low or it, it'll throw off your data significantly have yeah. you seen that causing more grief or less grief based on how the tools are, are filtering or not filtering that sort of event? It's a really good question. So generally speaking, tools like Google Analytics are really good about filtering out most bot traffic. That said, there will be bot traffic. It is just something that's going to happen and it'll be a big spike and then it'll be added to the filters and then you can pull it out. Now, there are two different Google Analytics now. There's like this universal analytics, which is kind of the analytics of today. And then there's Google Analytics 4, otherwise known as GA4. That is the, the analytics of tomorrow in a, in a very real world. It's built for tomorrow's world. So in universal analytics, you have a little box where you check and says, I want to you know, remove bots. And then you have to do some customization to take that a step further, whether you set up filters to remove some of the spam stuff coming through, or you can you know, set up some other codes to help. Uh, keep data from being injected into your analytics account. But those are possible. They just require a little more know-how uh, and some manual steps in universal analytics. With Google Analytics 4, it's kind of built in this world of, you know what? I know people are just going to be malicious and create bots. So we're going to try to build this platform so that it's able to more than likely reject bots. And so you can't inject data in Google Analytics 4 without some sort of authentication key. And so it's like things like that that have adjusted with the platforms as they move through time will help mitigate that. But that said, it is a cat and mouse game. So there will be bot traffic. It is something you're going to have to be aware of and on the lookout for so that you can just pull it out of your data. So, but don't make the assumption that, oh, these platforms are evolving faster than you know the, the bots are because they won't. Uh, they, will, they will probably evolve equally. And it's something to always ask yourself, am I looking at data that's actually useful, which is why it's good to be able to, um, again, going back to the questions that you're asking, ask specific questions about specific groups, not necessarily your data in aggregate. Uh, makes sense to me. I, you know, I, and I think that's pretty much every trend line that we see is, is that, uh, you know, from security, you can, uh, you know, you, you can really do a great job, but there are still going to be zero day events. Uh, there, there are going to be security vulnerabilities that you didn't know about that weren't publicly known that uh, that people take advantage of, uh, you know, as they find them as hackers uncover them. Uh, and, you know, at that point, back to that cat and mouse game, you know, these are certain parts of life today, but, uh, but you can still go out there and do a really good job of keeping things secure and really be proactive. And, um, yeah, I, I think the same applies here. You don't throw your hands in the air just because there's going to be a few bad apples in the mix. Exactly. Uh, and I don't know, Google analytics for 
we didn't really know a Google Analytics 2 or 3. So <laughs> I think they're going to get some good flack for the name before all is said and done. Uh, I've already talked to people that are confused. Have you found the, the naming convention to be a little odd? <laughs> There is there is a substantial amount of confusion on on Google Analytics four and kind of all of a sudden it just sort of came up and was like hey there's this new thing you've got to upgrade to it but it's kind of an upgrade but it's not really an upgrade it's a completely different platform from Universal Analytics but it was an upgrade from App and Web so there's definitely some confusion but long story made very short Google Analytics had a problem in that their platform was built on some very very old architecture. And it was built for a very different world where there wasn't the Internet of Things. Nobody even considered that, right? Mobile was not really around and certainly not in the in the area that it is now. And so then they have to go, okay, we're going to adjust it from classic Google Analytics to this universal Google Analytics. And that was like five years ago, give or take now. So at this point, you've got universal and it can do some stuff and it's heading in the right direction. It's not really focused on sessions anymore and visits. It's focused on users and it's trying to do cross-device, but it just can't quite get what this world is now. And they realize, okay, we kind of hit a wall. We can't really evolve this anymore. It's time to rebuild it, right? We have to rebuild the core. And so that's what they did is they rebuilt it. And originally they called it app and web. So it was called app and web analytics. And it had been around, it's actually been around for about a, almost a year before Google Analytics 4 uh, became a thing. So app and web was in existence. And it was this idea of, hey, we're going to create this brand new platform. And they did. It's completely different. It has the same name, but it is completely different. And so you could practice app and web. And now if you've got apps on your phone and you've got a website and you want to connect the dots between the two, use app and web. To which the world looked at and said, well, I don't have an app, so I don't have to worry about it. Really wasn't a whole lot of pickup. And so marketers took over, which I think is what happened. I don't know this for a fact. I just assume. And so the marketers took over and said, listen, we need everybody using this new thing. You cannot call it app and web and expect the world to adopt it because most people do not have actual apps. So why don't we call it Google Analytics 4? And that was the upgrade where app and web sort of got upgraded into Google Analytics 4. It then became the primary platform. That was a big switch. So when you came to create a property, a new Google Analytics property, it is a Google Analytics 4 property. There are ways to create the universal analytics properties, but you have to kind of go through the advanced way to do it. Um, but that's where they decided to make the focus and turn. And they needed to, because we all, as measurement professionals, we need to be able to use this platform and understand it. And it's going to take some time because it's not the same in almost any way. So it is a completely new platform and we're going to have to learn it's you know, tweak it. And it's probably one of those things that you might have to start a, a property and then play around with it. And then maybe you have to delete it and then start again, knowing what you know now, since you've got a little bit of more experience with the platform and that's okay. Like plan for that. And that's what I think Google's big, big message is, is like, yes, we know it's not ready today because it doesn't have all the features that universal analytics has. It doesn't, it's not as easy to use. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it will. And now's the time to learn Google Analytics 4 because it is, uh, at this point, it's going to be the simplest it will ever be, right? It'll only get more. It'll hmm. only get bigger. So at this point, learn it now, get the basics down, practice it now over the course of 2021, moving into 2022. Maybe at that point, it can be the one that you're using to get all your answers from. And you officially sort of migrate at that point from Universal to, uh, to using more Google Analytics 4. But for now, you do both. You have your Google Analytics 4. And you have a universal analytics. And that's that's what most companies are doing at this point. And if thinking back to e-commerce specifically, would you say that um, that off the shelf, if you use the native settings in 
either Google Analytics, Google Analytics 4, as we just heard, hopefully both, uh, that you'll be in pretty good shape? Or uh, have you found that a lot of customization is needed to build a lot of custom reporting and a lot of things that aren't just about flipping the right switches and dropping the right tags, but that it takes more know-how in order to really get the value out of it? It's a great question. So the way that we describe this, we have what we call the measurement journey uh, over at measuremarketing.io. So we start off with like, you're in the cave. And that's where most people start. It's like, you don't really measure much. You don't really have answers to anything. And you've got to light things up, right? You're kind of wandering around dark in a cave and you got to get the heck out of the cave. So you turn on all these different platforms. At that point, you're in the valley of visibility. You're able to kind of look around and get a little lay of the land. but And you might be able to answer questions. And again, it's it's all about the questions you're asking. If the question is, how many people saw my site yesterday, turning things on kind of helps with that, right? Gives you at least a, a rough idea of that answer. If the question is, well, how many people are coming in from my email? Well, now you have to be using UTMs. You have to customize your setups a little bit, your implementation. And you've got to make sure you're using UTMs to track your sources and your mediums and all that other fun stuff that happens with that. But now you can ask a better, you can get an answer to a bigger question, right? Of In terms of traffic. And then if you're trying to track leads and you want to know what specific type of leads, you might need to do additional customization. Like in Universal Analytics, it might be a custom dimension. In Google Analytics 4, they would call that a custom event. Uh, that you've got, and you can start now measure what specific type of lead. Was it the checklist lead? Was it our white paper lead? Or was it our video lead that brought in the sale? So as you ask bigger and bigger questions is where your setups will customize. They will have to be customized. So it's not a matter of, will I customize my setup or build out my implementation or improve my implementation? It's a matter of when and what questions are you asking right now? Now, if you're asking very basic questions around how many users are seeing this page, it doesn't need a lot of customization out of the box to do that. It doesn't need a lot of improvement. It can do a pretty decent job, at least giving you a trend, right, of, of what's working and what's not. But as you ask questions that you're not collecting the information for, that's where you go back and you improve your implementation so that you can answer that question the next time. And that's why you will eventually, no matter what, whether it's Universal Analytics or Google Analytics 4 or any platform for that matter, that's why you will eventually improve your implementation. Mm-hmm. Makes as much sense as anything else I've ever heard, right? <laughs> uh, necessity, the mother of all inventions. That's 100% right. But it, but it's important to be just in time. Don't try to like hear that somebody else did something and you need to do that too. Because if you're not asking that question that they are, what's the point? It's a bunch of busy work and it can overwhelm and get frustrating and cause this busyness feeling uh, without any real results. But if it's tied to a question like we need to improve the implementation so we can get answers to this question, that's when you know you're ready to kind of do that just-in-time uh, build-out. Yeah, and look, a lot of people start with Google Analytics. Uh, we've just spent a good uh, chunk of time chatting about it uh, for a good reason, that it really is the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> that first step on everyone's journey. And it it's not like, you know, just a little base camp. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a pretty significant part of the journey. But are there next platforms or supplemental platforms that you run into a lot or that you think are kind of the the next steps in the journey uh, as people are ready to bolt on more or uh, there are just certain questions that they're going to have a hard time answering without something outside of Google Analytics? Yeah, there really are. So analytics on its own does an okay job of collecting some information. It does an okay job of reporting that information, but it's really good at storing information. That's kind of what it is. It's like a it's like a behavioral database. It's built to store the user's behaviors that are happening on your site. 
what pages, what clicks, that sort of stuff. That's kind of what it's really built for. So there are other platforms in the Google marketing universe that are built, purpose-built for very specific things. So there's one that's built just to collect information. It is purpose-built, super easy for marketers to use, a little bit of a tiny, tiny, tiny learning curve. But once marketers know how to use it, this thing called Tag Manager, Google Tag Manager. And what a Tag Manager does is it allows the marketer to get a better understanding of more specific behaviors that are happening on the site. So for example, not just that the page loaded, which something like Google Analytics can do on its own, but did they scroll down 50% of the way, 25% of the way, 75% of the way? Did they spend 67 seconds on the page? You can get very specific. Did they look at my reviews? So if you think about an e-commerce store, did they spend time looking at the reviews? Did they spend at least 67 seconds looking at reviews? You can get very specific on the behaviors that you want it to collect. Now, once it collects that behavior, Tag Manager doesn't store the behavior. It just collects it. It's just, it makes it makes you aware of it. So it has to send it somewhere to get stored. And that's where analytics comes back into the picture. So now analytics isn't really collecting data on its own. Tag Manager collects the data. It sends it to Google Analytics to be stored. And at that point, you have reports that are in Google Analytics, but let's face it, they are not most interesting reports to look at. Sometimes they're a little too generic and we need to customize some stuff. And that's why Google created Google Data Studio because Google Data Studio fills in the reporting gap. And so you have Google Tag Manager that collects the information that you need to be able to get answers to the questions that you're asking. It stores that information in a platform like Google Analytics. And then Data Studio comes on. And that's where you build your reports and your dashboards. to Say, okay, now I need to get the answers to the questions, right? I've stored the information, so but I still need to get the answers. That's where Data Studio comes in. And that's where you hook it into Google Analytics and you use it to build out maybe a customer journey funnel flow of what's going on. How many people are seeing a product detail page? How many of those add to cart? How many of those start checkout? How many of those finish checkout? What's the average cart value? All that stuff can be pulled into Data Studio. You can build a nice little dashboard. So at the end user, maybe it's a C-level or maybe it's yourself, you're looking at that dashboard and that's what's telling you, okay, here's what we thought was going to happen. So we thought of, uh, let's say, Every 100 page views that were coming in, we figured 10% went out to cart, but turns out it's 40% are out of the cart. And so, okay, what does that tell us? Is it certain pages that are really popular when it comes to add to cart versus pages that are, or products that are not likely to be added to cart? What might be causing that, right? Going back to the reviews, if you use Tag Manager to measure how many people are seeing reviews, you can build a data, you know, store that information in analytics, but then you can build a data student report that will show you that, give you that answer of like, okay, people that are, uh, seeing reviews for, let's say, at least 60 seconds or whatever the number was that you were measuring for, that behavior that you were measuring for, what's the average cart value of that versus people who didn't do that? And you seeing that and go, well, I think it should be at least twice, but it wasn't. Maybe it was 3x. And you go, wow, reviews matter. We got to really focus on getting reviews in these other products and maybe don't have as many, right? And you can do an email campaign for people who bought that product to get reviews in there so that you can end 3x the average cart value and you can measure for all of this. So those three platforms, they are built to work together. And at a certain point, it goes back to that measurement journey concept. At a certain point, your implementation that you're improving, it's not just the tool itself, it's adding tools. And so it's the suite where you use Tag Manager to collect the information, analytics to store the information, and Data Studio to build your reports. That makes sense. And look, there are benefits along the way. Like with Tag Manager, it really cut down on the amount of time you have to spend editing the actual code of your site or getting your developers involved every time that you have a new tag, uh, you know, need to get in involved in that. Not to say that there aren't times that something needs to be added somewhere within the site, but uh, there's a lot of benefit to making these things much more marketer friendly, uh, much more 
you know, what I'll call admin or uh, e-commerce manager friendly to the people that need to use the data day in and day out um, and, and free them up as much as possible. Um, with that in mind, you know, I, I was recently, I know we, we just talked about a lot of Google products and I'm a big fan of, of these products. Uh, I was just testing out a few weeks ago, Microsoft Clarity, which mm-hmm. you reminded me of uh, Crazy Egg and some of the other. Yeah, Hotjar uh, and yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, so th- there's a long history to wanting to be able to visualize what the the customer's journey through your website is. You know, heat maps and recordings of sessions and different things, all anonymized, of course, just like all the other data. But uh, do you have any thoughts on that side of of the fence? Uh, new tools coming out or other supplemental tools that you see uh, bringing additional value outside of the, the Google family? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because there's this, this just because the tech exists, should I use it, right? There's a, oh, there's a new tool, a new shiny object. And then you got 27 different things that aren't really, and 20 of them you don't use anymore, right? With Clarity, it was interesting because it's Microsoft's foray into analytics and they came at it from a completely different way. Facebook analytics came out years ago. It's very much like Google Analytics 4. Like those two platforms are kind of uniquely the same. But Clarity is different. It really went after the more visual components and it tells a story. Like there's a little report on there that pops up automatically that's like rage clicks, right? How many people are clicking on the same spot over and over again, which might indicate that a button is not linked or something looks like a button, but it isn't, but they think it is. And you can click onto this and then it'll show, oh, here's the recordings where you can show where it shows somebody and you can see, oh, that's the button they're clicking on. I can go take some action on that. And it was a really interesting take Instead of them going into this deep dive analytics stuff and to be honest, competing against Google, which I think sort of owns that market, Google and Adobe, instead of doing that, they're like, you know what, we'll go after some of these other ones. I would be, you know, a little worried if I'm some of these other platforms that are out there because it's free. Clarity is free um, and it's unbelievably easy to set up. You just put a piece of script on your pages. We've used Tag Manager to get it on our pages. Um, and it works within hours, right? You've got some really interesting information and you sort of have this 24-7. Uh, recordings and heat maps and and some really good visual components. So if you are not comfortable with data, meaning data tables and looking at spreadsheets and that sort of stuff, some people are, they're quote unquote numbers people. There are others that are not, which again, I think Data Studio does a great job at it. You can, you can develop a Data Studio report that is, it is in the, the visual component of a funnel so, you, so people can use it and make that data a little more accessible. But then you got clarity where it's like, okay, I'm going to watch a recording. The only thing I would, I would uh, encourage people to remember is that just because one person did that does not mean everybody's doing that. So take it with a grain of salt too. Yeah, uh, but uh, it is really if you've got thousands of of web hits, uh, you know, are you really going to sit there watching thousands of recordings? I hope not. <laughs> right, it's exactly right. Yep, it's exactly right. And don't don't read too much into them. But it's it's just a matter of like, okay, it's, but I liked how they did it. They said, oh, this is a problem maybe with rage clicks. Doesn't mean it is. Maybe it's the way the site was designed to work and Clarity got confused. But it's it's really nice that they break it out like that. And that was just one example. But it's so easy to set up that I'd recommend people give it a shot. Yeah, I, I had uh, the same epiphany with it that I thought that they, uh, you know, for Microsoft, which, you know, didn't win the browser wars and <laughs> not, not in the long run, at least, right. uh, you know, and and in terms of being webmaster tools, Microsoft ads, all these right. these right. products, yeah, that they haven't really come to the forefront here. You know, they're still there and, and they yep. still play a role. But this, uh, I think they did all right. So I hope more people test it out and tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think that it was a great first foray into the market. I think it's a lot of very useful stuff that's easier 
for somebody to get into, especially if you're not a quote unquote numbers person, it's just get the script on the pages, give it a few hours. And it's really easy to get through. There's not a lot of table tables, it's charts and diagrams, and it's fairly story-based. They did a really great job uh, of sort of naming things to make, again, to make the data accessible, right? To, to get you to an action as fast as possible. Yeah. And, you know, so shifting a little bit, uh, I noticed on your website, uh, you've got a toolbox with some cool stuff that, uh, that, you know, website owners and others in the industry marketers can, can take advantage of. Is there anything specific in there for e-commerce users? Uh, so specifically for e-commerce users, I'd say, uh, yes, but because it's for all digital marketers. So meaning e-commerce owners are going to want to know about their traffic. They want to know which traffic caused which results. It's kind of a generic question, but e-commerce owners need to know that. So there are tools back there for measurement marketing to, to help you understand like, oh, how do I structure the traffic, my traffic tags? We have a traffic tracking toolkit for that. If you're trying to get into dashboards and you're trying to figure out like, what, what can I, I don't want to see a dashboard of a bunch of tables. I don't want to see pretty bar charts. I want something I can actually look at that again, makes makes the story, that tells a story. That's how we think dashboards should be. We think they should be like your car dashboard. You look down and you see that you're doing 70 miles an hour. You know, you either are hitting the brake or you're hitting the gas. Like that's it. It's You don't have to analyze it. That's what a marketing dashboard should be. It should be that easy to know what to do next. It should tell that sort of story. You can do that. We get a dashboard toolkit that helps with that. Uh, for e-commerce owners to try to figure out like what behaviors are important to them. It's a marketing behavior toolkit. And then there's about 40 other tools that are back there. And that's our our free level uh, for the toolbox membership. So anybody here can get that. It's measurementmarketing.io forward slash jet rails. We'll take you there. Cool. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so you're tracking everything. Uh, <laughs> no, well, you know, and, and the main reason that I asked and the listeners might've picked up on that that wasn't exactly uh, maybe something that, that Mercer, that you were uh, expecting me to ask in that way, but there's a reason that you've created those specific things. And there are specific challenges that people face day in and day out trying to get these things set up properly. Even in some cases, just trying to have confidence in whether they're going in the right direction with it, because you can really go down the rabbit hole with this stuff. You can stare at data until the cows come home, uh, you know, until you're uh, <laughs> you're you're starting to see things that aren't really there. <laughs> exactly right. Yep. Um so, you know, in some cases when, especially uh, if you're newer to the industry or if it's just not a piece of uh, your day-to-day -day workload that, that you've been as accustomed to and you're trying to really d dive in further, I think, you know, there's a lot of resource out there like that. That's fantastic. Well, Mercer, you've been really generous with your time today. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, always good for me to keep up on what's happening in the industry. And I know our listeners appreciate it. Uh, any final words before we wrap it up? The the biggest advice I have for all of our students whenever we train this, because that's kind of what we do is we help people learn how to do this stuff, is focus on one thing. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, I never thought about, like, I could even use UTMs. I didn't know what they are. Or I've never started a Google Analytics for. Maybe take that one thing, practice that, build the skill, come back and listen to the podcast again. You'll pick something else up. But it's important to avoid overwhelming frustration. Um, and I would say if... You are brand new. You've really, really, really thought about measurement in terms of a framework or a system before. Then focus on those five pillars, which is you know the planning first. Then you do the build out. Then you generate the reports that give you answers. Then you forecast. Very important to start marketing forward and saying not just what just happened last week, but 
here's what's supposed to happen next week. And then did it happen? And you measure against your forecast and optimize. And when you follow that five-step process, this whole thing gets a much, much easier. And of course, measure market IO forward slash jet rails. If you want to take advantage of those, that toolbox membership, it's totally free. Just our way of helping to give back to the community. Awesome. Uh, same way. I like to think about a lot of this that, you know, and Jet Rails is web host. We talk about things like site speed consistently, uh, and it's the same sort of thing that you're not necessarily trying to get your site speed to <laughs> less than a second. Um, you're trying to get it to the best possible place based upon the size and scale and needs of of your website and and your shoppers. And there are all these these things that come together, but. Uh, you want to be heading in, in the right direction. You want to make sure that you're using the right resources, that your vendors are using the right resources, that all these things are working to your advantage. And um, so I, I think that that's, uh, that's really uh, speaking you know, the same language uh, that, that I do here every day. Um, Mercer, thanks again for your time and, and for your wisdom today. Um, for our listeners, as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll have more great episodes for you shortly. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.